Welcome to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, and I have in the studio today with uh, me, Eric Crema, and Eric Ryder, co-host uh, yeah. Eric Crema. Thank, thank you. you. And Eric Ryder, going to do some side comments, hopefully, and keep me in line. <laughs> He's so, got the uh, zingers. Yes, he does. Good zingers. <laughs> and, he, and he corrects us when we're wrong, when <laughs> we give out the wrong facts, which is nice. Right. That's right. And that's uh, we're always going to him during the breaks. Hey, Eric, is this true? <laughs> Did we just say what's true? That's not back we, with that one. Should I do that prior? Also, thing want to let you know that this is simulcast in KKNW, so I kind of forget that sometimes. But we are coming to you on Kixie and KKNW at the same time. So let's get with uh, today's program. I said last week that the last week's program again was the greatest radio mm. show in the history of broadcasting. This one is actually, I believe, going to be that way. Yeah, so, I'm just uh, waiting for the national award to be mailed. Oh, it's in the, it's in the it's mail. in the mail. It's it's coming. Right, being polished any right? moment. Yes, <laughs> and uh, recognition. I don't think they think they have that, but oh, they well, do. Oh, they do. The Macar- Marconi Awards. Oh, of course. Okay, so let's uh, straighten up in our chairs a little bit. Well, if we don't get it, we'll just pretend. <laughs> we'll make our macaroni. Award. Yeah, macaroni award. That's a good one. Um, but we do have a lot of good things on today's program, and uh, the segment we do every week is voices in history. And uh, today, we're going to be addressing the year 1886, one of the years anyhow. And the U.S. received a magnificent gift from a European country that still stands today. Oh, I got it. I'm not going to spoil it. But I've okay, got it. but you got it. Eric, do you have it? No. Okay, <laughs> good. We, we've stumped the other Eric, Eric Ryder. Good. So uh, anyhow. Can we give a hint, hint if I'm right? Let's see if I'm even right. I'll give a hint. Okay. It was sent in pieces. Yes, okay. that is correct. There we go. You have it yet, Eric? I think so. <laughs> okay. So anyhow, that's going to be the one of the segments in uh, Voices in History today. Our one-hit wonder. This song was originally recorded in 1965. This didn't do too well. It was re-recorded by another band in 1966. It rose to number one in Canada and number four in the United States. Hmm. Stew on that one. All right. And also we're going to move on to ranked choice voting. I know it doesn't sound exciting as hell, but it is uh, a factor because the citizens of Seattle only will be voting on this in this election. And it could really change the way we vote. And uh, pollster Stu Elway will be with us later, and he's going to be talking about this. And as a matter of fact, I talked to him just before we went on the air and uh, he went through the last year, a couple of years, in elections. And would this make a difference in the elections that we've already had? Hmm. So um, just to let you know and to add to the confusion on the ballot, ranked voting is like you would vote for several candidates. But then to make it even more confusing, the city council added a second ranked voting alternative, 1A and 1B, or vote no or vote for both. Really, it's yeah. kind of strange. Sounds a little, uh, definitely sounds a little challenging. For the feature today, we have New York Times bestselling author Alan Gratz. His latest novel, Two Degrees, it highlights climate change and how it is affecting the globe. He focuses on four adolescents who live in Florida, California, and Canada. Now, the timing for this interview is good. I just did it last week. I want to play it today. I mean, we certainly had our share of climate change here, what really enveloped us with all that smoke last week. We'll talk some about that as well. But uh, he's really trying to educate younger people about climate change in a book that is fast and really compels them to want to get through it. So uh, that'll be an interesting interview. Um, Our comedy feature today, and I know that we can all relate to this one, we're attached to our mobile phones. I'm as guilty as anybody. And then um, how do we react to that mobile phone when we replace it? I mean, our blood pressure goes up. <laughs> I run out to the car. I open up. It's got to be in the glove compartment. It's got to be, oh, there it is, or it's not. <laughs> oh, God, where is it? And then you get your little beeper out. Arsenio Hall takes a kind of a, a humorous look at this today, and I think he does a pretty good job on that. And, Eric, you're going to be talking about uh, something that I find extremely interesting, and that's the evolution of video entertainment. 
Yeah, I just want to get your thoughts on that uh, as well and just throw out some of my ideas. Um, and uh, I'm curious what the audience has to think about it, you know, uh, th- think about their own habits and as they grew up, how it's changed, just say, in the last 20 years. It's amazing. Uh, and so we'll just sort of chat about that. I think it would be fascinating to do that. Um, just to let you know, Voices of Experience, again, it's on Kixie and also uh, KKNW AM 1150. And we talk uh, with people with experience in the area of public affairs, travel, fitness, education, entertainment, with an emphasis on entrepreneurship. And we're going to be talking about that again a little later. And that has to do with some of the myths about going into business for yourself. So we'll have a conversation about that. If there's anything on the show you hear today that uh, you'd like to comment on, you can call the Voices of Experience hotline at 425 425- Six five three one one six six, and just leave your message, and we'll get it on the air if we can. If there's certain things we talk about, and you have some things you can heighten up the awareness, that'd be great. We'd love to hear from you. That's four two five six five three eleven sixty six. Alan Kratz coming up next. Best-selling author Alan Kratz is my guest. He just recently completed a book called. Two Degrees, it's about our planet in an environmental crisis, and time is running out. As you will hear in a moment, I had the interview with Alan the day after Seattle was judged to have the worst air quality in the world for two consecutive days because of wildfires. So I guess the timing couldn't have been better or worse for this interview. This is very timely. Uh, In this area, you probably know Seattle is where I'm calling from. We've had uh, some really severe smoke issues over the last couple of days. As a matter of fact, we were the uh, had the dirtiest air in the world, literally up till yesterday. Fortunately, we've never been so happy to see it rain again because some rains come through and it's now back to normal. We have very clear air. Yeah. I just wanted to get maybe a comment on that quickly, what you're feeling. As I said, the timing couldn't be better for this interview. Yeah. One of the three stories in Two Degrees is about a girl who is surviving a mega fire in the Sierra Nevada mountain range in California. And I definitely wanted to tell a story of the West Coast because California, Oregon, Washington State, British Columbia, you guys have all been suffering from these mega fires. And whether, you're, whether your community is threatened by the fire or whether it's the smoke that's affecting you, Uh, it's all a problem. And so I address both the the fire and the smoke in two degrees because this is something that's unfortunately becoming very commonplace out there for you guys. I just want to go through an overview of the book and what you're trying to accomplish. And you can tell me whether I got this right or not or make an additional comment. There are three stories within the novel and essentially it affects four young people. They all have life-threatening encounters. The young girl, as you mentioned, in California... Uh, comes up against a wildfire. Two boys have a very close encounter with a polar bear in Canada. And then a young girl is almost swept away by a hurricane in Florida. Is that essentially correct? Yeah, that's it. And and I weave all three of the stories together. And in the end, the characters, the kids are going to come together because a big part of the message is that we are all interconnected, that, that climate change is affecting all of us in different ways, perhaps but it's affecting all of us and that we're all in this together. You just may have answered this question, but I have it written down, so I'm going to ask it anyhow, and (laughs) would be when someone finishes this book, what would you like the takeaway to be? Well, I do want them to feel that, to to understand that that we're connected. I want kids especially to understand that climate change is affecting the world right now, kids and, and adults all over the world right now. We often think of climate change as something that's down the road, something that will happen in 50 years, 100 years. But it's happening right now, and you in Seattle and 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 Bolson in other parts of the world are seeing the effects of it right now. So I want them to see that. I want them to understand what climate change is. But lastly, I want to leave them with some hope. Uh, if the bad news is that humans are causing climate change, that's also the good news. The, the good news is if we're the cause, we can be the change. We can stop being the cause. It's not some natural thing that we have no control over. We can do this. And that, that if we work together, again, that, that message of unity and interconnectedness, that if we work together, 
we can we can change this. We can we can stop it, and we can even perhaps reverse it. It's either I'm clairvoyant or you're in my studio reading over my shoulder, which I don't think so. But I just was going to ask the next question. So climate change isn't something that's that far off. It's here and it's happening right yeah. now. And then I was going to say, and that's, I think, essentially the power of your book. I hope so. Look, I've written mostly uh, recently about history. I write stories about World War II. I've written about refugee crises in the world, the Holocaust. A lot of my books are about big things that happened in the past. But it was really important to me to set this book not in the future when when we might have runaway greenhouse effect and we, we might have sea level rise of, of X amount that we don't know what that future is going to be or how soon it will be here. And I didn't want to set the story in the past. I could have maybe done something about the beginning of the Industrial Revolution or something about the beginning of the environmental movement in the 70s. But I wanted to focus on right now because as you pointed out, we have people all over the world dealing with the effects of climate change right now. And so I thought instead of focusing on the future or the past, this is a story of the moment. And, and, and I want to make sure that kids understand we're not – this isn't us trying to fight something in the future. This is us trying to correct something that's wrong right now. You were once an eighth-grade teacher. How did that help you write this book? Yeah, uh, former life uh, time, I was an eighth grade English teacher, and one of the things I learned pretty quickly was that if you want to get a point across, if you want kids to listen to you and to understand what you're saying, that you have to keep it interesting. You have to keep it relevant. You also have to be entertaining. You know, no kid has ever picked up a book and started reading it and said, well, I'm 100 pages in, but, you know, this book, it got a great review. It, you know, nothing's happening, but this book got a great review in the New York Times, so I'll give it another 100 pages. Right. No kid ever said that they, if they pick up a book and they get five pages in and they're not hooked, they're going to want to put it down and never come back. So my, what I learned was I have to be engaging and interesting right off the bat, grab hold of them and then entertain them first and then subtly work in that that theme or, or lesson or message that I want to get across. That's what I try to do with my books now. Are there things that you didn't know about climate change that you know now? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I'm, I'm not a climate change scientist. And so I had to do a lot of research for this book, a whole lot of research. And, you know, it, it really helped me understand, you know, I, I kind of thought maybe we were getting more hurricanes because of climate change. That's not really the case. They think that we're not getting more hurricanes. We're just getting more intense hurricanes. Um, I, I learned why the wildfires out there are, are so bad out on the West Coast. Um, you know, the, the temperature rise basically sucks the moisture out of, of plant life, out of houses, out of everything made of wood, and makes it into tender. And so the wildfires that we usually had become now megafires. They can become much more intense. Uh, I learned that up in the Arctic, that as the permafrost melts, that uh, the, the bacteria, that, that it becomes unfrozen in the permafrost, starts to feed again on plant life and plant material that was frozen in the permafrost, and that creates methane, and that methane adds to the greenhouse gases. So there were so many things about each of these different regions that I didn't understand, but that I that I tried to work into the book because I, I, all these things are factors in climate change that that are that are kind of hidden. I happen to believe climate change is real and it's caused by man, or people think that it's a yeah. hoax and that it's a natural world or Earth cycle, okay? And that's the other extreme. My question to people about, let's say, believing that it's a hoax, okay, say you're right, but wouldn't it be better just going out and doing many of the things like solar power and getting rid of fossil fuels and deforestation? So essentially that we can just breathe clean air and drink clean water while we're here on Earth, and what can be an argument against that? I, absolutely. So I, I, one of the strangest things about all this is that the, in, the, in the climate change movement, in, in people trying to, to correct climate change, they're saying, even look, even if, you, even if, if what we're doing, even if this is all natural, which it, it isn't, but even if it were, What's the, what's so bad about cleaning up our air? What's yeah. so bad about cleaning up our water? Right? Like we could we could do things that make our world more enjoyable, like you're saying, and, and a better place to live, and and scientists say also reverse this possible runaway greenhouse effect that we're heading toward. Right? So even if even if they're wrong, let's say that they're wrong. 
just doing these things would still make life better for us. So why not? A lot of people think that it means privation, that we have to that we have to stop doing things that we enjoy. We don't. We can just we can just modify our behavior. We can have advancements that make the world a better place and fix climate change at the same time. Uh, it's been a pleasure to chat with you. Uh, I hope that uh, that kids will read Two Degrees and that that adults in their lives will read it with them and have great conversations about climate change. My thanks to Alan Gratz, author of Two Degrees, A Planet in Crisis, and Time is Running Out. It's directed towards ages 10 years and above, but I think anyone can benefit from reading this book. You can find it easily by just Googling Two Degrees. And the author again is Alan Gratz. When a flock of geese knocked out two engines on U.S. Airways Flight 1549 right after takeoff from LaGuardia Airport, who would you want in the cockpit? Captain Sully or a pilot on their maiden flight? If Captain Sully was your choice, then experience is important to you. And that's what Voices of Experience with Paul Casey is all about. People with experience in their chosen fields. A variety of topics are explored, including local and national public affairs, self-employment, travel, lifestyles, health and fitness, history, and adventure. Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey. Now Voices of Experience is simulcast on AM 880 KIXI and 1150 AM KKNW on Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Voices of Experience is also rebroadcast on Kixie Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. Welcome back. Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey. And again, we're here with Eric Quima and Eric Ryder. And we have now moved into another segment of the show called Voices in History. Uh, well, we're looking at the week of, what, October 20th to the 28th, which we're right in the middle of. First up, the supersonic Concorde jet makes its last commercial passenger flight, traveling at twice the speed of sound from New York City's John F. Kennedy Airport to London's Heathrow Airport on October 24th, 2003. The Concorde jet carried actress Joan Collins, Christy Brinkley, and an Ohio couple who paid $60,000 on eBay for two tickets. Wow. I would have got those if I I was aware of this. Yeah, sure. Sure. You just outbid by a little. A little bit. That's all. Um, Let's see. At 2.30 p.m. on the afternoon of October 27, 1904, New York City Mayor George McClellan takes the controls on the inaugural run of the city's first new rapid transit system known as the subway. And I don't mean the sandwich. Wow. I I can't believe it's been around that long. Yeah. I was uh, the same way. That's why I like these. I go, it's been about 1912 or 15 or 25. No. And we're still doing that. And, And what's interesting is that that evening, the subway opened up to the general public. More than 100,000 people paid a nickel each to take the first ride under Manhattan. The system now has 26 lines and 472 stations in operation. Wow. Amazing. Imagine being able to ride on a clean subway. <laughs> yeah, That's what's, true. I don't know how long it was clean. Week? Well, you yeah, probably did it the first day. Was the oh, last yeah, day, I but. imagine. Yeah. It's got you that know, new car smell. New subway smell. <laughs> yeah, new subway smell. And, and it was, and, and it certainly deteriorated terribly. And But that was like the 80s when I went back there. But they really cleaned it up later, yeah. and it was mm-hmm. really a, a good ride. But I think it's kind of back to where it was. But I can't say that. I don't know. But I know a lot of people aren't riding it now, and I think it's because of uh, – that maybe, and some of the um, crime maybe mm-hmm. going on, but uh, well, when you think about the technology, it's interesting. It really hasn't changed that much. I'm sure the cars are a lot more modern inside, but the the basic technology is the same. Very true. And here, after all these same, you know, we're still using it. Still a viable way of getting around. And we're building one right now. It's 2000 what yeah. 22, and we're go. a couple three years away from completing what we're doing now, but basically it's not going to be that much different. Again, nope. cleaner and maybe smoother a little bit, but it's basically uh, what's and been done above ground for, for many us. Years. Well, a lot of it's underground. Yeah, some of the light rail is underground. Oh, oh interesting. Yeah, yeah. tunnels. Oh, yeah, you bet. So we've got a uh, uh, partial subway. 
Yeah. Right. And we under 4th Avenue and Pine Street, that's all underground. Very cool. So, we call it Subway Light. Right. That's right. You call it <laughs> Subway Light. light. I light haven't heard anybody subway. else do that, Eric, but you can, you can do that. <laughs> I just trademarked that. On October 27, 1962, we've been talking about this, but the Cuban Missile Crisis comes to an end. Soviet leader Nikita Khrushchev agrees to American demands that nuclear missiles be removed from Cuba. In exchange, the U.S. said they would never invade Cuba again, and they would also remove missiles from Turkey. But that wasn't public knowledge till years later that we made that agreement. We said, we'll get the missiles out of Turkey, but we don't want anybody to know that now. And they held their side of the bargain there. Mm, I don't remember that from fifth grade uh, uh, U.S. history. I don't remember that part of the story. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I don't think it was really public till, like I said, many years later, mm-hmm. uh, and that became part of it. On October 28th, 1886, the Statue of Liberty, a gift of friendship from the people of France to the people of the U.S., is dedicated in New York City Harbor by what president? Mm. Mm-hmm. Roosevelt? What, what was the year again? Oh, 18. That's 1886. Oh, no, no. 1886. Oh, like Rutherford B. Hayes? <laughs> I wouldn't have guessed either. So it's uh, Grover Cleveland. Grover, Grover Cleveland. Cleveland. All right. Good old Grover. Yes. One you know, thank goodness did. it was a beautiful statue. Can you imagine if they opened up the boxes and it was hideous? <laughs> what are you going to do, ship it back? Uh, that's you know, it's true. Not, it's not Amazon. Oh, we never got it. It must have sunk in the Atlantic <laughs> or something. Oh, gosh, you know. Sorry about that, but thank you for the offer. That's nice. nice. Well, they opened it up. They're like, it's broken. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. What, I wonder if they, it's in pieces. Do they know it was coming, too? You know, what is I'm that? I'm sure, yes. I probably, of course they did. All right, let's go, <laughs> move on. On the home front, that's this area. On October 21st, 1898, Seattle College was established. Fifty years later, Seattle College was renamed to the university we know it as today, Seattle University. Seattle U. Seattle U. October 22nd, 1952. No one's going to remember this, but what the heck. Wisconsin Senator Joe McCarthy made his first political visit to Washington State. He was here to campaign for Republican presidential nominee Dwight D. Eisenhower and Washington State Senator incumbent Republican Senator Harry P. Kane. McCarthy's trip didn't turn out well. He got heckled by members of the Washington State Press Corps, and King TV canceled his televised speech. Wow. Okay. So there you go. Um, So these are from This Day in History, from the History Channel. A lot of these tidbits I get. And the other, the more local ones from the state of Washington, comes from a great, great site, historylink.org. So if you like these little tidbits, whatever you want to call it, have fun in going to uh, these sites because it's all there. They absolutely the research that has been done is just tremendous. So that's great. Good one. This good one today. I loved it. Yeah. So uh, let me see. We'll move on to our little comedy bit for today. And uh, do you want to do a little bit uh, in between or go right to it, Eric? You you make the call. Let's jump right to it. New day. New day. Everything's changing. This has changed a lot. This is my favorite thing in the world. My woman hates this. My phone. You always on that damn phone. It's everything for me. I pay my bills here. It's my flashlight. It's my photo album. It's my camera. Right? It's actually everything but a phone for me. How many get mad when somebody call you on the phone? It's a new day. (laughs) This is important. I got a new case. I get a new case every couple months. My girl says I take my phone clothes shopping. (laughs) I do. I take her too. You know, I go to the Apple store and get a new case, and I let her go next door to Forever 41. (laughs) You can tell how important something is by how you react when you lose it. You ever misplaced your phone? I misplaced my phone earlier today and got heart palpitations. (laughs) 
You're not supposed to get heart palpitations over misplacing your phone. I left my son in the mall when he was little and didn't get heart palpitations. That's too important. It makes you crazy. I've actually been looking for mine and realized I was on the mother... I've actually said, wait, hold on for a minute. I did that today. That San Jose weed is a mother... Oh, oh it's crazy up here. Hey, hey. All right, Arsenio Hall. That's Isn't that great? Yeah. A little dated, but, you know, he could have done it yesterday, too. Still but I true. I think he did it a while. I think I heard recently that, you know, that's the thing people panic when they lose. It's yes. their phone. Keys, car keys. And, and it used to be, where's my car keys? You know? Right. But now it's, your wallet is like relegated or, or purse is to third place. That's right. It's all that's about right. the phone. It is so true. You got to do uh, that. Keys, wallet phone <laughs> checklist oh please tell me you're you not doing that please tell me you're too young to be doing that stuff <laughs> i think everybody's got to do that, i already right? added glasses Jeez, to that list phone. hey glasses there you go <laughs> no i've done that before where i go to my glasses and then they're on i have yes. done that oh yeah but um well let's talk about some more interesting happenings uh that are going on in the uh world today yeah and uh one that really strikes me is very interesting among many things you do eric but I want to talk today about the evolution of video entertainment and the stark differences between the 60s and the 70s and today. So go for it. Well, you know, we were talking earlier uh, in the week and you said, you know, let's do a little freestyling here and just bring up some topics that we have personal interest in. And uh, so I thought about it the rest of that day and then emailed you these couple of items. But this particular one, I've just been thinking a lot lately about how different things are today when it comes to uh, video media, you know, television, streamed streamed video, uh, essentially renting video via, you know, your cable and or just over the internet and how you watch it on what device, you know, it, gone is the day where it's just the television. You huddle around that television and now it's on the go. It's on your phone. It's on your computer, laptop. You can do Start here on the phone and maybe get to work and you need to catch up on something and then you watch it on your desktop and then boom, you're, you know, you're back home and you're watching it on your, your television. So it got me to thinking just sort of in the past about how different it was then than now. And I'm sure both of you can appreciate this because we've in a large part lived it. I mean, the fact that uh, really there was used to be three major networks and remember how they would vie for superiority. It'd be CBS one year because they had a great sitcom and then ABC would come on strong with their big lineup and it was usually like a Thursday night lineup or Friday night lineup. It was a big deal. And I remember being uh, a teen and, and even a child and thinking all week while I was in school, can't wait for that next Happy Days episode, you know, or uh, whatever, whatever the fantasy island, whatever the show was that we really liked at the given time, and you'd wait for it. And man, you better be in front of that television when it came time, and hope that your dad wasn't going to watch, you know, you know, boxing or you know, a football game. It was there. You had the you had your ownership of that television for the half hour or whatever. And then came the time where suddenly this new technology came along where you could record. Wow, this is amazing. You could record your shows with VHS tape, and uh, you could record them and then watch them at your leisure. But the problem was, and remember it was the standing joke, you could never get that clock working right on your VHS. Yeah. No, that never happened to me. <laughs> I did. Me. No, I'm kidding. And without the clock lot, working right, you could never record on time, you know? Right. So you're, you're invariably recording it wrong and things like that. But then you just, it's just interesting to me. What does that do to sort of the psyche of the individual to be in that situation where you actually have to anticipate things, work toward things to a degree? Mm -hmm. And then fast forward to today where everything's immediate gratification. I mean, we could say, what was that theme song on um, Three's Company? How did it go? Boom, go to YouTube. Boom, there it is. Have the audio. We could even watch the intro of the show. Heck, we could watch episodes could, on there. We could put it on right now and yeah. have it up in five seconds. Eric could have it up in two <clears> he seconds. He could. He's watching it right now. Right. Come See, and Eric, knock over on here. Door. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> See, there he goes. 
Which, by the way, if you ever do go back and watch those shows, they really don't hold up. I don't no, know they don't. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> like, wow. Companies, one of them. <laughs> it seemed like I was really. I thought it was corny even when it was out, but anyhow. <laughs> You're ahead of your time. But, we were... Well, not really. There's, I don't can admit some shows I liked, so I, they're buried. But that's one. I don't know. It's pretty campy. But when we talked about the water cooler, even like, say, in the 90s, you'd, you'd be in the office and you'd be at the water cooler. And, hey, if it's on a Monday, did you see. Friends, did you see the latest Seinfeld? That became conversation around the office. Oh, that was hilarious! Or, or don't tell me I well, taped it. How right? about the last uh, segment of Mash? Oh yeah, that That's was right. the biggest in history. I believe that was the most watched program in the history of television. That was huge. That's a great point, and that's a whole nother level where suddenly, because there were fewer choices, a larger group of America was hanging on the edge of their seat. Very true. For these things to happen. That's very true. Now it's very fractured. There's all these shows out there. And I don't want to be one of these curmudgeon, you know, get off my lawn. But what happens is I think, for instance, I'm hooked on shows one at a time, but these are shows I would have never had access to normally through like Netflix and Hulu and these kinds of providers. So right now we're watching this show called Welcome to Wrexham. And this is a show that is a documentary and it sort of follows Ryan Reynolds, the actor, and Rob McElhaney, also an actor, they have pooled their money together, or some of their money, and went out and purchased this lower-tier soccer club in Wales. And it's funny. It's really interesting because you learn about the geography. You learn about the people involved in this and the passion they have for their sport. I was kind of talking to Eric prior to the show, and Eric was saying, you know, you've been to England, and you're saying— How Scotland, big Ireland. a part of their yeah. life it is. Yeah, Football. absolutely. Yeah, or or soccer as we call it here. But yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's huge. Yeah, and and um, so then you get hooked on it and you watch the series and then you move on to something else. But I've actually asked a couple of people in the office, "Have you seen Wrexham?" You know, no, I haven't because there's so many other options right. out there. Right. Well, you told me, and uh, I hadn't heard of it, and mm-hmm. it sounds like a great show. And I'll probably want to watch it. But again, as you're saying, this sounds something that's so good. And not having heard of it is pretty amazing. I, I actually did. I've seen it promoted, but it didn't impact me. But now from what you said, I'm just going to definitely dive into it. Well, have you cut the cord, so to speak, in your household where everything's mostly Internet and yes. online based? And, and I don't watch real time. Same here. Just, just about what you're saying. Even the news. I'll record it and watch it two hours later. Or something, because I'll just blow through the ads. Totally changed, right? As a matter of fact, I've missed a lot of the political ads because of that. Mm. And I was at the dentist yesterday, sitting in the chair for 45 minutes to 50 minutes, and grinding out my teeth, and the TV's on, and I see all these political commercials, and I'm going... That'll make you grind your teeth. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I said, which is worse, you know, getting my teeth... You know, worked on here and grinding my gums or watching this, and it was very close. Yeah. Uh, you know, so but no, you're right. It was just tough. terrible. Anyhow, go ahead. Well, that's really all I, I – ju- it's just an observation. And sure. I, and I'm sure that there, there will be thesis upon thesis regarding this down the road where people look at, you know, consumption of media and, and uh, the different ways we do it. Uh, I do feel, in a sense, a loss of community, if there can be such a thing, of, of watching – uh, like our family all gathering specifically to see a particular show, waiting for that to happen. The Christmas time reminds me of that a lot. Um, and now it can be fractured where somebody is actually streaming on their phone in their bedroom watching something, the other person, their television, and the other, because you all have different tastes, so you're not together. So it's kind of interesting how things like that have changed just the family dynamic. No doubt. It's a pretty uh, amazing situation. I haven't really given a great deal of thought of. but These are the to. things I think yeah. about on my two-hour commute home. <laughs> You need to either get home quicker. I need to get a or, hobby. No, <laughs> no, no, I think that was really, really helpful because I hadn't really thought about it that much, uh, the fragmentation of it. And it's a lot has, has happened in regards to that, but the effects of the social society and things. Uh, you know what I want to address a little bit here, Eric? Um, Talk about something we had, Steve Rabel, and he was here, gosh, maybe a month, month and a half ago. And I just wanted to replay just a very, very small slice of this interview because it was before the season started, and I asked him about how did he think the Seahawks were going to do. Let's hear what he had to say at that time. As great a player as Russell has been, and he'll end up in the Hall of Fame without question, um, I think it was time. 
And uh, I, I believe the same for Bobby. Bobby's a great player, and he may have another year or two left. But for the Seahawks to be able to really reset and get back to what they want to be, they had to they had to get some more players in there, some young blood in there, and they've done that. And that's why I'm so excited about going back into the booth this offseason and calling these games. Uh, so, And I've met all of these young draft choices. I had a chance to meet them the week after they were drafted. What a great group of guys. Smart. Most of them were their college captains. So that gives you a sense for their great leadership uh, capabilities, not to mention the fact that they're just great athletes. So I think it's going to be fun. Will we win, you know, 14 games? Heck, I don't know. Uh, nobody does generally win that many games. But will we be competitive? Will we win our share of them? Yeah, absolutely. All right, so that is Steve Rabel. And uh, he, uh, again, that interview took place uh, about a month, month and a half ago. And the reason I wanted to play that again is because it really showed the insights. Of course, mm-hmm. he's a smart man. He's there all mm-hmm. the time. But he was able to jump ahead and see what was happening to the Seahawks then and how are they going to be. And certainly they've had a much more successful season than anybody in the world would dream. Who would have ever thought Russell Wilson would be having yeah. the time he's having in Denver and to say it's not been good is an understatement. Yeah. But then I think you know the big issue here is how the Seahawks are playing together and their you know defense has done so well, and then certainly the quarterback has just been lights out. Yeah, no one would have expected that to happen. Geno Smith has just been incredible, amazing for sure. Uh, and, and certainly, I had me fooled uh, mainly because we just didn't see a lot of them. You know, up until this year, I was reading the power rankings yesterday on on uh, the football teams, and the Hawks made a, a quite a move up after beating the Chargers. And uh, the comment on there was. If you predicted this, you're a liar. <laughs> and that's true. You know, there you go. Nobody was thinking it. Absolutely. And that, to me, goes to the power of Pete Carroll. I will say this. I've been a Pete Carroll fan since day one when he got here. And um, he's done some amazing things, and he continues to do it. Gets a lot of criticism for what he does occasionally. But pretty much when he's made the move, pulled the trigger, you know, and starting Russell Wilson originally, yeah. that was controversial, even yes, doing that. Right. Certainly uh, cutting Percy Harvin in, you know, the second Super Bowl year. Everybody was going easy. Lost his mind there. He went out and won the next nine out of ten games. He just really is someone, I think, who's got the touch, and he's just kind of proven it again. So if I said I hated Pete Carroll, I wouldn't have said brought that up. But since <laughs> I said I liked him, I, I brought it up because I want to be right. Absolutely. How about your next one? Well, I, another like thing, thing I've been about, kind of yeah. thinking about, only because I see this uh, I, I MSN uh online is basically my landing page when I'm turning on my computer. So I get a lot of news off of there. And at lunchtime, I love to just surf around. So uh, I keep seeing these things. Uh, and maybe this is a cautionary tale for those of you who might be thinking of going to Yellowstone or any one of our beautiful national parks is leave the animals alone. <laughs> That's what I want to say is just leave them alone. Too many videos of, I call them vidiots. Uh, too many of these vidiots of people doing selfies where they have to get out of their car and see how close they could get to, say, a buffalo or an elk or even saw a bear. You know, these are wild animals, and yes, they happen to be standing near a roadway, but uh, they're not used to you getting out of your car and trying to hug them or get real close with a selfie. And then invariably somebody gets gored or trampled or, you know, and, and I just... Enough's enough. Uh, you know, at some point, common sense needs to prevail here, people. These are, again, wild. This is not, I don't know if it's maybe watching Disney films and thinking, oh, this, you know, this is going to be like that cartoon I watched, you know, or that, that bear loves to be hugged. some of that there. You know, maybe there's something there. Um, or people just assume they're very tame because, again, they're in close proximity. I do remember being a young child going to places like the park parks with my parents and my fascination as a kid was always trying to get beyond the boundary lines you weren't supposed to. So if you were on a hillside and there was a little boundary, a little sign, don't step beyond this. As soon as my parents won't watch, I'm the one trying to step over it. So maybe there's something in all of us that want to break the rules a or little bit. Or maybe just in you, Eric. I, I don't know about that. But anyhow, go ahead. Yeah. I, you know, just to respond You're a rule breaker. Come on, Paul. Yeah, well, no, you, you got that right. But um, 
I didn't need a sign in, you know, a, a park to tell me not to get out and pet a buffalo. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, I don't know what it is, but geez, <laughs> I know there's something was called the Darwin Awards, you know, for yes. the nuttiest things people would do. That's kind of in this area. That, Absolutely. Uh, but then you mentioned something that never thought of, and that is that maybe all these videos and movies about animals' interaction with people, that maybe they don't think they're as dangerous as I did when growing up. But I'm saying when someone says to me, don't do this, something like that, I kind of yeah. listen to them. Like, you know, get a vaccine shot. They're scientists. I listen to them. I don't go, oh, I know more than you and, right. or whatever. right. But um, no, I think you're you're maybe on to something. Well, about that. and I don't know. I, I think this is one of those slippery slopes. It's probably just going to keep getting. I mean, you talked about signs. There's signs everywhere telling us how not to be stupid, right? Right. And, and it's, it should be common sense. But no, for legal reasons and for just safety reasons, the signs will be up there to maybe sometimes protect a company or whatever. Sure. I was actually on a Washington State ferry years ago, and I don't know if you remember. You know how they have air dryers in the bathroom? Yes. Well, this was old school. They had the 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 towel that would kind of recirculate through the mystery fluid up on top and then come back out and be somehow magically cleaned. It was like a... Oh, yeah, yeah. You sure. don't see them anymore. Probably right. For That's COVID right. It's been a while. Maybe it's in a museum somewhere. But there was actually a sign on the side with a graphic of a picture of a guy say, don't put your head in the loop and hang by your own body weight. Good advice. So... So that tells me somebody at some point had to have done that. Yes, and they're covering themselves <laughs> there. That so is anyway. the most interesting one you've mentioned. In Leave the animals alone. Don't hang by your own weight. <laughs> wow. Okay, so um, good stuff. Uh, let's see. We have, uh, well, we're moving to our next uh, subject here. We're going to having Stu Elway calling in in just a few moments. Is he on the line? Oh, he is here. Guy is always on time. We're talking today about ranked choice voting, Proposition 1B, and then we have a Proposition 1A, which is the same, but it allows voters to vote for everybody, which I still have difficulty understanding why they're doing that one. I understand the first one, but Stu is here to clarify that for us. And by the way, this is going to be on the ballot on this election, so if you haven't voted yet, or if you uh, open up your uh, ballot, then you look at it, you'll see that this issue's there. I'm not going to talk about any other political stuff today, only this, because I don't think anybody's talked about it. You know, I mean, and this is going to change the way we, um, you know, elect people in the city. It's only, again, in the city of Seattle. So, Stuart, uh, you are here. And welcome to Voices of Experience, as always. And... um, Stu, I'm going to just read something here and tell me if this is accurate or you need to add some things to this. But 1A would allow voters in the primary elections for mayor, city attorney and the city council to select on the ballot as many candidates as they approve for each office. The two candidates receiving the most votes for each office would advance to the general election. And then I'm just going to do 1B really quickly before I turn it over to you. And that would be... um, Ranked voting would be a very similar type of approach, but it would just uh, rank the voters in in order, and you'd vote for the top candidate. Then you'd go two, three, four, five, whatever it may be. That's ranked voting. So um, you did some research today. I want to hear what uh, you came up with. Well, um, I, I look. Yeah, they're interesting uh, proposals. Uh, Ranked choice voting is used uh, in various places around. Uh, the most recent we're watching is the state of Alaska for their congressional seat. Uh, they they use ranked choice voting for their uh, primary up there, or for their election up there. Now they're having another election because it's uh, um, the the un, the unfilled, unfilled seat. Um, of the uh, longtime congressman who died, now it's the full term. So anyway, they're using it. Uh, so we're getting some, and they use it in the city of New York uh, last year, I think it was, for mayor. And I think they tried it in Pierce County a couple of years ago, too, and then abandoned it. Right? Yeah, I heard that it was in, God, they were doing it since 2006, and they did it for three years, and then they yeah. just, they threw it away. Yeah. 
there's some polling that shows that people like it, uh, and they, it's not as confusing as it is to you and I right now. <laughs> um, the, the difference between the two, as you point out, um, uh, approval voting is you can just mark your ballot for any candidate you like, as many as you want, one or you know all 15 of them. A buffet. You like them You're all. going to a buffet. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then whoever gets the most uh, marks on their ballot uh, wins. Or, or in this case, being the primary, that the, the top two of those would go on to the general election. Uh, rank choice adds uh, the element of, of discriminating between your first choice, this person I really want, and if that person weren't there, then this is my second choice, this is my third choice, and so on. So what that, the way they'd work that is um, they count all the first choice ballots if, if, um, if there's a lot of candidates in there, um, then they would eliminate, take off the, the person who got the least votes and then t- look at that person's second choice ballots and allocate those throughout whoever's remaining and then they they keep doing that, shaving off the, the bottom-ranked person in each round and allocating their votes to everybody who's still left until there's two left. And then that would, um, that would those two would then proceed to the general election. Okay, so, is everybody out there getting this? <laughs> you, every crystal clear on this, what's raise, happening? Raise your, raise <laughs> raise your, hand. your hand, you know. This is part of it, and not only you get use of the ranked voting and, and the other alternative, it, it, you know, they had to put them on the, both on the ballot at the same time. Yeah. And I read the Seattle Times editorial basically saying or that this, they did this to confuse people. They don't want it. You know, the city yeah. council doesn't want either of them, so let's sabotage it. Is so there truth to that? Yeah, so the, what we'll be asked to vote on is two questions. One is, should the current voting system be changed, yes or no? And then if it were to be changed, which would you prefer, ranked choice voting or um, approval voting? So it may be that the first question, most people say no, and um, that's it. Uh, I did a, I did a poll, uh, my last uh, Crosscut Elway poll, we asked this question statewide, and most people didn't want it. Uh, and the question was just about ranked choice voting. Uh, interestingly, however, uh, 63% of the voters we interviewed in Seattle were in favor of it. It was the only place in the state where there was a majority in favor. Every other every other region of the state, there was a majority against. Now the sample is real small for Seattle, but that is interesting, and it's not just totally out of the question here. Um, so I, I kind of got curious about that when I knew we were going to be talking today, and I I looked at a couple of things from uh, last year's municipal election, and. Um, for example, the mayor's race has 15 candidates. So if we were doing ranked choice voting, um, and, you know, as they go through the first, the top two candidates in the first round were Harold and Gonzalez, and Echo Hawk was third, and then a bunch of other behind there. If you, if you take all of the votes off from like in round two, all of the all the well, you take all the rest of the votes, all the rest of the candidates, and allocated them to uh, say Echo Hawk, she'd still be in third place. Okay. So so it it wouldn't have changed anything. It, we 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 would still end up with Harold and Gonzalez, Gonzalez going through to the general election if we use ranked choice or, or even approval last time. Now, the so, Seattle Times came out with an editorial on this, and they're against both. And yeah. um, you know what? I, I find it interesting. I mean, they're really against it. They're not even making ifs and buts about it. They're just saying yeah. this is a bad idea. And they had an analogy I, I saw, and it's like um, being at a restaurant. It's like a waiter asking, do you want chicken or fish? And when you say neither, 
The waiter responds, we're going to ask everybody else what they want, and if that's a majority, that's what you're going to get. <laughs> is, that, yeah. uh, is that accurate? Yeah, that's, kind of <laughs> that's how this election would work. So if, if a majority say, yes, we should change the election system, then whichever A or B, uh, ranked choice or approved voting, has the most votes is going to be it. So the only way to stop either one of them is to say, no, we want to keep keep things the way they are, not use either one of these new ones. Mm-hmm. You know, I think uh, I'm looking at it, and uh, there's, there's positive and negatives. And just to read something from a professor at uh, Western Washington University, a political science professor, and I'm, I'm taking this from him, is that uh, he mentioned about, and Stu, you mentioned this earlier about the confusion, but he said in New York, 93% of the people who were polled uh, said the instructions were easy to follow. Yeah. <laughs> Both so. And then 77% <laughs> wanted to keep it. And um, he's for it. He's for, you know, the, yeah. uh, the choice voting. Well, uh, yeah. But, you know... Go ahead. Well, you know, and he also points out, I think, that they've been using it in Australia for a long time. Right. Um, and the rationale for it is that it it would um, uh, turn down the, the heat and the vitriol in the election because if you're a candidate, you you want to make you want to get as many of those second choice votes as you can. So you can't. If you come off as too, um, you know, angry or ideological in one way, like uh, we're seeing now, like we're seeing now in every ad on both sides, exactly. You 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 may have to modify that some. You'd have to modify that. You can't. You wouldn't attack people as viciously if you want to get their second choice votes. And so, the idea behind ranked choice voting is that it would moderate. Uh, the politics somewhat and take some of the vitriol out of it. And, you know, what we saw in Alaska was Sarah Palin didn't make it. Mm-hmm. And she she had the most votes in the first choice, I believe, in the first round, but she didn't have very many second-choice votes. So her her base voted for her, which would, in ordinary election, would have been enough to put her through. But in this election, you had to get to 50%. And her base wasn't fifty percent, and she didn't have any second choice votes. Hey, well, that uh, I'm I'm going to not say anything about that, editorialize on that, but we'll leave it there. But thank you, Stu, very much for okay. that information. Very, very helpful. I hope I made it really clear for you. Everybody. Did and <laughs> as confusing as everything can be here, we cut through some stuff. But just as we say, vote and right. you know take a look at this. It's on the ballot. Interesting. I'll probably vote against it, but I kind of also see some positive things about it. That's all I'm going to say now. Yep. We have to run. Thank you, Stu. Bye-bye. Okay. So with that, we are out of time for today. And uh, let's see. Next week we'll be on the air again. And I'm going to have um, Seattle University president here today. And his name is Eduardo Penelver. And uh, he's talked to Rotary Club and talking about the role of higher education, freedom of speech, and things. So I picked that up there and played. I think it was, it's a really compelling uh, you know, interview I had with him. And again, that'll be on next week. So what else? Quote of the week, everyone is a prisoner of his own experiences. No one can eliminate prejudices. Just recognize them. Edward R. Murrow. 